Hello, and welcome to the Kiskea Chapel Sermon Podcast. Kiskea Chapel is an international church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where we equip English-speaking believers to expand God's kingdom in our community and beyond. For more information about Kiskea Chapel, you can visit us on our website at kiskeachapel.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay, so for me, this is my story. When I, when I have to share on retreats or whatever, here's the worst thing I've ever done. I don't remember how old I am. I'm a little kid, and I got a Frankenstein model. That's a picture of the actual model. You know what a model is? Little thing you put together, and then you paint it yourself. And I was so excited about this, except my mother got the flu that day. And so she was, she was in bad shape. And so she says, I gotta go to sleep, I can't stay awake. Do not do anything on your Frankenstein model until I wake up. Don't try and paint it or anything. I'm like, okay, okay. So she goes to sleep and I can't wait. I got the black paint, I'm ready to paint the boots and the bolts on his neck and his shirt, I'm ready to go. Well, I'm a kid. You don't lay out newspaper or anything. You don't, you don't think of that. So I'm thinking, okay, here we go. I open the little deal of black paint. My father had just recarpeted this room. And I couldn't get the lid off. And so trying, as soon as I do, the black paint is this giant pool on the new carpeting. Again, I'm a kid. I'm thinking, oh, I better get a scrub brush and scrub that up. I start scrubbing it. This black spot that's about this big gets bigger and bigger. I have this big black spot in the brand new carpet. And I'm starting to panic now. I'm thinking, oh no, mom's going to wake up. What can I do? What can I do? Kid, remember, I'm a kid. My idea was I will rearrange the furniture and I will put a couch over the black spot. Now here's the problem, it's not that bad an idea except that it was in the middle of the room. So I just have this couch moved out in the middle, move some lamps beside it, some chairs around it. Finally I hear my mom kind of groaning and waking up and she comes in and I'm sitting there in the middle of the room on this couch watching cartoons. <laughs> and she's like, what's wrong? I go, do you like it, Mom? I've rearranged the furniture in here. <laughs> She's like, why, why did you rearrange the furniture? I go, I was just thinking it might look better like this. Well, it was just a matter of time till my mom discovers this gigantic black spot under the couch, and she's horrified. Normally in my family, she was the disciplinarian. But this is one of those times, when you're a kid, the worst thing you can ever hear Okay, you just go to your room and wait until your father gets home. Like, oh no. So I had to go in my room and wait for three hours wondering what in the world my dad was going to do. And actually my dad was kind of a pushover, so it wasn't too bad. <laughs> Even though he was pretty mad at all the money he just spent that he was going to have to spend again to replace the carpet. So here's the point. Whenever we are asked to talk about something bad we've done, uh, one of the things I've noticed in myself and others is we kind of lie. We talk about cute and clever stories where we signed the graffiti, or we accidentally spilled some paint and rearranged the furniture. But the Bible says that's not what's really wrong with human beings, that we make some cute mistakes every once in a while. 
That black spot that gets bigger and bigger is filled with secrets. And my guess is that there isn't a single person on planet Earth that really knows the secrets of your heart. That if you actually had to tell people the deepest, darkest things you've done in their life, it'd pretty much be stuff that nobody knows about, hidden. Oftentimes things in our head or in our heart, hatred we have, jealousy, envy, anger, all the things that Jesus talked about is the fruits of the flesh. Because sin has completely, it's not just a cute little thing that we need to stop making some clever little mistakes. It's in the depths of us, in the very deepest parts of our lives. It's not harmless. Uh, I read a great story from a lady who wrote a book on evangelism. Her name was Becky Pippert. And she talked about this older women's Bible study she went to. And she said they were really impressive. They knew their Bible really well. These were amazing ladies. But she was leading one week. She was a younger gal at the time. And she says, let's all share our greatest struggle with sin. The first lady who she said was like the matriarch of this group. She shares and she says, well, I really hate to admit this, but I don't write enough letters. And the rest of them were like, oh, yes, I, I can see that. Becky Pippert was like, what? You think Jesus had to come and incarnate himself into human flesh and die a gruesome death on the cross because you and I don't write enough letters? Is that really? God had to figure out how to atone for our poor letter writing? She's like, I, from that day on I realized we all like to lie about the depth of sin in our life. And we've become really good at it. We have a few stories we can tell of some kind of marginally bad things we've done in our lives. But the truth is so much deeper than that. Maybe history's greatest theologian was a man named Augustine. He was the Bishop of Hippo in North Africa in the early church. Augustine wrote a book called Confessions. Jump to the next slide there. Uh, in that book, the Confessions of St. Augustine, uh, by the way, it was the first autobiography ever written that we know of where he actually said, let me tell you my story. We don't know of anything older than the Confessions that was uh, read by hardly anybody that was a personal story. He's telling the story of how he became a follower of Jesus. He was a well-known philosopher, an intellectual in Northern Africa. But when he wrote the book Confessions, here's what he talked about. Let me read this one quote. Near our vineyard, he's talking about his family home, there was a pear tree laden with fruit that was not attractive in either flavor or form. One night when I at the age of 16 had played until dark on the sandlot with some other juvenile delinquents, we went to shake that tree and carry off its fruit. From it we carried off huge loads, not to feast upon, but to throw to the pigs, although we did eat a few for ourselves. We did it just because it was forbidden. In fact, he goes on to say his family had hundreds of pear trees on their property. 
He's like, what is it in me that made me want to go to the neighbors and steal not even good pears and feed them to the pigs? And Augustine from this began to say, this is when I first realized I needed salvation. There's something wrong with me. I have inside me this rebellion, this darkness that's not cute or clever. It's bizarre. Why would I steal the neighbor's pears when I had more than enough pears of my own? Isn't this the problem even today when we go, why would rich people in a culture take more money even through corruption when they have more than enough? And they know this. Same thing. I know movies like to make it look like the only people that ever steal are people who are starving to death, and so they just steal a loaf of bread so they can feed themselves and their siblings. And I believe that happens sometimes. But actually, if we take a look at people who steal, oftentimes they steal all kinds of stuff they don't need. Why? Well, the Bible says sin is rebellion. We, we don't do it because, oh, we were just trying to meet our need. We are willing to do and think and feel horrible things even when we don't need to. And Augustine said, this is why I decided I needed a savior. This is why I started looking into Jesus. And of course, becomes one of the most famous Christians in the early church. We refer to him again as St. Augustine. Here's how the Bible puts it. Jeremiah chapter 17. Jump to the next slide, please. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, I know that in the world, people like to think, people are basically good. That's simply not what the Bible says. It says that the human heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Beyond cure. Now, history certainly would verify that. We don't have cultures of people who don't struggle with sin. Who go like, yeah, we used to, but then we got over it. <laughs> we don't have stealing. We don't have adultery. We don't have envy or lust or murder. We don't have any of those cultures in history because I would suggest the Bible's understanding that the heart is deceitful above all things is true. Not just true in the Bible sense, but you can just look around and see it's true. And so we come to one of the passages we studied this week. If you've been reading along with us, uh, this week, one of the passages we covered, if we go to the next slide, please, is Mark chapter 3. And I don't know what you put down in your journal, but Mark chapter 3, that should say 28 through 29. And Mark chapter 3, here, here's what it says, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, everything. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Sometimes we call this the unforgivable sin. 
And if you were reading this week, this probably should have stuck out for you. Like, what? Jesus clearly states there is a sin that's unforgivable. Now, let me give you a little context here. Again, if you were reading along this week, you know these stories. A couple of stories before Jesus says this is he is teaching as a young man in the temple and his parents don't know where he is. And they finally find him and they send his brothers and sisters in and they say, oh, oh, don't listen to him. He's a loony. He's a little crazy. We need, we need to get him home and take care of him. Can you imagine that? Okay, the very next story tells us that the religious leaders go one step further. They say, no, he's not a loony. He is possessed by Satan. And Jesus says these words in response to his family and the religious leaders. Do you know why? He's warning them, guys, every sin can be forgiven except one. There's only one unforgivable sin. Now in the history of the church, sometimes the church has struggled with it. Sometimes they've said it's murder or suicide has been the most common answer throughout church history. The unforgivable sin is suicide. Jesus doesn't say anything about that here. In fact, my experience as a pastor is oftentimes people who take their lives are people who they've lost so much hope and they're so beat down that sometimes I'm thinking to myself, I kind of understand. I certainly don't agree with it, but I see how you got there. Sometimes I've heard people with struggle with severe depression and they tell me the things that people have victimized in their life. And I'm like, wow, I don't know what I'd do if I were in your situation. So I'm certainly not affirming it, but I am here saying unequivocally, I have no problem saying this text has nothing to do with suicide. It's not that unforgivable sin. The question is very simple. Can we do something so wrong, so evil, so dark, so bad that it puts us beyond God's forgiveness? Was Adolf Hitler one step too far? Did he cross the line? Did the Tantan Makut cross the line? That's a question that we really need to have an answer to. Is there anything that's beyond forgiveness? And Jesus says the answer is yes. There is one thing beyond forgiveness, the unforgivable sin. We're going to watch. We'll see if it works here. If not, then you're stuck with me describing to you again. We're going to watch a long film clip. There are no words to it. I think it's maybe the most beautiful piece of film I've ever seen in my life. It's from a film called The Mission. It's a South American film. It's the story of a man named Rodrigo, based in history, who was a slave trader. He came with the Spanish conquistadors to South America to enslave many of the Indian people. They climb up the waterfalls uh, in South America, it's called Iguazu. They climb up these magnificent waterfalls with an army and they would take all the children, all the Indian children, and kill their parents and enslave them. 
It's a really tough journey, but it, it produced so many slaves that it brought, sadly enough, a bunch of uh, Spanish explorers who thought, let's go take all the slaves, these children that we can. Unfortunately, or fortunately, before they can take all the slaves, the Franciscan priests show up. And they, like the missionaries we prayed for, come to share the gospel with Indians who'd never heard the name of Jesus. And these Indians, who definitely feel a need for salvation, respond, respond completely. Entire tribes, networks of tribes become followers of Jesus, and the priests climb up every week to hold services for all these new Christians. The scene we're going to watch, Rodrigo, the, the main slave trader, not only has he done evil by enslaving these children and killing their parents, but he also, because his younger brother fell in love with his fiance, he kills his younger brother in a duel. And so he's sitting in a prison when the Franciscan priests come and visit him. And they say, so do you think you're beyond forgiveness? They're asking him, have you committed the unforgivable sin? And he says, yes. And they start laughing. And he gets really angry, he throws the priest up against the wall. He says, are you laughing at me? And the priest says, yes, I'm laughing at you. I'm laughing at you. So why are you laughing at me? He goes, you think you have enough courage to lead an army up there and steal these children and kill their parents, but you don't have enough courage to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And this man is shaken up by it. He doesn't know what to do. The priest tells him about Jesus and how his, his sacrifice has forgiven all sin, all sin. And he said, not mine, mine's too bad. He goes, no, 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 all sin. But he can't accept that. And so we're going to watch a clip because he decides, they said, come with us and let's go meet the Indians that you've been wronging. So they're climbing up this cliff, and you're going to see it here. He has this massive net with all of his armor and swords and all of his tools of destruction in it, tied around his neck, and he's trying to climb the waterfall to get to the top to say, well, okay, maybe I can show God that I deserve forgiveness because look at what I was willing to do. Okay, and this is the clip we're going to watch. It's beautiful. Because you're going to see what happens here. Initially, the Indians are scared to death when they see him. And then they realize, wait, he's with the priests. Why is he with the priests? And he's carrying all of his armor in his back. And then they realize he's coming to do what the Bible calls repentance. I, I've, I've wronged you and I deserve death. And you're going to see what happens here. It's an incredible picture of what the Bible tells us happens in our lives when we bring our giant net of sin before a righteous God. The same thing occurs here. So let's see if it works.
Is that an amazing picture? When you come to know the forgiveness of God, when he cuts that sack loose and throws it into the ocean and says, no fishing, gone forever. It's hard to know whether to cry or laugh. And they all participate in that like, yeah, we know. We know he saved us too. It's a beautiful picture. When they see the tears of repentance from Rodrigo, initially the person they were most afraid of who'd done the most wrong to them, when they saw tears, even the children started going, we've never seen this warrior cry. And they think it's funny. <laughs> because it is funny. Do you know this in your life? That through Jesus, God has taken that knife and severed that net that you've been dragging around trying to do good enough things that maybe God will forgive you. To realize that he's cut the net loose and he throws it over and says, it's gone. Now, why am I showing this clip? Because Jesus says there's only one unforgivable sin. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. To see that incredible miracle of forgiveness and to claim it's not from God. That's the only unforgivable sin, is to hear the offer in Christ. Can you imagine that cliff? If they'd come over to cut the deal loose and in his pride he'd said, no, 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 thank you. That's the unforgivable sin. And Jesus says it's an eternal one. To make the choice to reject God's offer of unconditional forgiveness for all your darkness, even the stuff nobody knows about. This is the essence of the gospel. All sin can be forgiven, divorce, cussing, homosexuality, murder, voting for Preval, whatever you want to put in there. It doesn't matter. From God's perspective, all of these things can be forgiven, except one, to see the act of God and to say, that's not God, that's Satan, or he's out of his mind. It's the only thing. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you from a commentator, Mark Hughes. He says, the question is, what is this unforgivable sin, this sin that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? First, let me note what it is not. It is not cursing the Holy Spirit. It's not taking the Lord's name in vain, though that's a vile sin. It's not adultery or sexual perversion. It's not murder or multiple murders or genocide. Very simply, it is the ongoing continual rejection of the witness of the Holy Spirit to the divinity and saviorhood of Jesus Christ. It is that perversion in the heart which chooses to call light darkness and darkness light. It is the continuing rejection of the witness of the Holy Spirit. The religious leaders in this passage were at the very brink of committing this sin because they were saying that the Holy Spirit's witness to Jesus through his exorcism and miracles was really the work of Satan. That is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and I think he's right. 
So where are you with that sin? Maybe you've gone to church a bunch. Maybe you grew up in a church family. Maybe you know all these stories. But you're still trying to figure out how to drag your net of sin up there and prove to God you're worth forgiveness. You have a choice to make. Allow Jesus to cut the ropes free or continue to drag that giant net of sin around hoping you can get better. There are a lot of people that think this way. They think, oh, God wants me to clean myself up, stop doing some big sins, start going to church, help out the poor, whatever you want to put in there. These are not bad things. But Jesus says, if you hold on to those things but reject the offer of free grace in Christ, that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and it's unforgivable. I want to close with a story. Uh, I don't know if you'll even run to the next slide. See, I think I got a picture of it. Uh, do you know what the game racquetball is? It's kind of like tennis, but you play indoors. I don't. Do they play racquetball in Haiti? I don't think so. It's kind of a weird sport. You hit the ball against the wall, and then the next guy hits it. It's all this stuff. So I have this uh, pastor friend up in Chicago, and he's telling the story. He's like, oh, I'm a pretty good athlete. I think I can do this. So he shows up to uh, a club, a health club, and he's going to play racquetball. And he sees on the wall, there's a tournament. And there's three divisions. There's the A division, those are the really great players. The B division, the pretty good players. And the C division is the novice division. These are newbies, we, we haven't played much. And so Bill thinks to himself, he's like, well, I'm a pretty darn good athlete, so I'm probably, let's see, what should I do? Should I challenge myself in the B league or should I join the C league and just dominate? <laughs> And while he's thinking about which one he's going to sign up for in the tournament, this elderly gentleman comes out of one of the courts sweating, he's just played a game, and Heibel sees him and he says, oh, you know, I'll go ask that guy. He says, so you're going to play in this tournament? He says, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to get ready for it. In fact, do you want to play? Heibel thinks, oh, sure, I'll play this old guy. They get into the court. He never puts his racket on the ball. He loses 21 to nothing to the old guy, never touches the ball. <laughs> so Heibel says to the guy, so you must be an A-league player. The guy says, no, not even close. He goes, did you win the B-league tournament last year? He's like, nah, I, I was in the C-league. He goes, you won that? He goes, nah, it's about middle of the pack in the C-league. Heibel's just like, whoa. So what would happen if you played the winner of the B League? This old guy says to him, pretty much what just happened to you. <laughs> I would lose 21 to nothing. I would never touch the ball. He said, and the guy that wins the B League, how would he do against the winner of the A League? He goes, same thing, 21-0, never touch the ball. And Heibels is thinking, wow. This is like you and I when it comes to sin. We all think that we're in the B League, probably could compete in the A League morally, 
but we're probably, you know, higher B league. And then we read the Bible and we find out, no, 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 the heart is deceitful above all things. You're in the C league and you can't win the C league apart from the grace of God. This is why Jesus' coming to earth is so shocking. An A-League player shows up in a world filled with C-League players. I can remember before I became a Christian, I thought I was a pretty moral guy. I would probably, I'm so arrogant, I probably would have given myself, I'm a lower A-League player. <laughs> and then I read Jesus. And I went, uh-oh, I'm not even going to lay a racket on the ball. I'm not even in the ballpark. I, I, I don't have anything in common with him. It's a difficult thing to come to that conclusion, isn't it? My heart is deceitful and in need of salvation. And the only unforgivable sin is to reject that offer. If you haven't made that decision this morning, I'm going to ask you in a second to pray with me. I'm not asking, are you trying to be a good person or a religious person or do you go to church? I'm asking you the question that Jesus would ask. Are you willing, based on the testimony of the Holy Spirit, to accept that you are a C-League player and that the winner of the A-League is offering to cut that net of sin loose? and throw it into the ocean. To reject that offer is the unforgivable sin. Now, I'm not saying just today, you may, I don't know, God may give you another 20, 30, 40 years to consider that offer, but we don't know that. And so I would say, if you're not sure, make sure you receive and accept that offer this day and God will cut that loose and say, you're free. Now you can let the tears or the laughter flow. If you're in that place and you're not sure whether you've ever accepted Jesus' offer of unconditional forgiveness, pray with me right now. Father, we recognize that there's only one unforgivable sin and that is to reject your son, Jesus. The Holy Spirit has testified through his life, through his teaching, through his death and through his resurrection that this is the one who has the authority to forgive sins. This is the one who has the knife to cut that net of sin free. So this very day, Lord, I accept and receive the gift of forgiveness. I will no longer try and pretend like I'm an A player. I will recognize I'm at the bottom of the C League. But you have offered me forgiveness, and your righteousness. And I accept that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. If you did that this morning, make sure you tell someone. It's really important that you do. Uh, as the worship team comes up, I want to conclude with one last piece, and that is uh, many of you, maybe most, maybe even all of you have already made that decision. Do you know that the New Testament says that the greatest temptation after receiving this is to go back to the old model. It's the greatest temptation. In fact, in Galatians chapter three, Paul writes about it. Uh, he, he basically says, are, are you Galatians that stupid? You received Jesus freely in his forgiveness and now you're gonna go back to the old.
trying to be good enough and religious enough and play your way up the ladder into the A-League. He even says, who has bewitched you? Who put a spell on you? What are you thinking? You came to Jesus with free grace. Now are you going to come to him with your works? I would just challenge those of you. By the way, this is a disease most common among missionaries. Did you know that? We like to think, oh, well, I'm doing all these great things for God. And you are. But salvation has nothing to do with what you're doing for him. Uh, As Jesus once put it, when the Pharisees uh, saw him coming into Jerusalem and the people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they said, shh, you guys need to calm down. Do you know what Jesus said? Hey, if they keep quiet, God will hire these rocks to praise me. God allows you as a missionary. God allows you as an ordinary Christian to work with him, but he doesn't need you. Did you know that? He doesn't need you. He can create missionaries out of rocks. Do not go backwards, folks. If you've come to know the freedom from having that net cut free, don't let Satan convince you that now you're going to try and climb the ladder and get into the A-League. Not going to happen. Rejoice, cry, laugh, whatever it is, that the same grace that brought you to believe in Jesus will take you all the way to the end, all the way to the end. That's incredibly good news. He has forgiven the worst you've ever done and the worst you will ever do. And to reject that is to commit the unforgivable sin. Let's pray. We hope this message was helpful for you. If you're in Haiti, join us on Sunday mornings where English speakers from all backgrounds, missionaries, diplomats, Haitians, expats, come together to worship, to connect, and to have fellowship with one another. You can find more information about our location, our service times, and our Sunday school program for all ages at our website at kiskeachapel.org. Or shoot us an email at chapelq at gmail.com. That's chapelq at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Father, help us. So many people here are already saints. They've already had that net of sin cut free. Help them to live in the joyous freedom of no longer having that thing tied around their neck, dragging it up and down. Father, help those who this morning maybe said, I don't know if I've ever asked Jesus to give me this gift. Help them to know it is real. And that is testified to by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we are so thankful that you've given us this gift. And so we rejoice in this day in Jesus' name. Amen.